We return this morning after a eight-week detour and one-week snow day to our series, Follow Me, A Walk Through the Gospel of Luke. We left off at Luke 9, so be turning there if you haven't already. And so as way of review, Luke, who wrote it? Who was Luke? Doctor, disciple of Christ, companion of Paul, wrote the largest amount of the New Testament. Who did he write to? Theophilus. Who was Theophilus? We don't know. That he calls him most excellent. It's probably a high-ranking official, some dignitary. Why did he write it? Right, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, an orderly account of life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that the office would have certainty about the things he'd been taught. And what are the five facets Luke wrote from? Remember those? Historian, theologian, disciple maker, musician, and physician. And it's the first three that I want us to turn our attention to this morning. We have before us this morning a story of real historical events and people that has much to teach us about God, theology, and much to teach us in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ as disciples. I've entitled this message, The Haunting in Herod's Palace. And when I say the word haunt, what comes to your mind? Spooky? Ghost? The word haunt, the origin is Middle English, haunter from the old French hanter, to frequent. And so it can be defined this way, to visit habitually or appear frequently as a spirit or ghost, second, to recur persistently to the consciousness of, to disturb or distress, cause to have anxiety, trouble, worry. And it's that last one that I have entitled this, The Haunting in Herod's Palace. There was no spirit or ghost appearing frequently to him, but a laundry list of things that were disturbing him. He was a man haunted by things such as this. And ask yourself, am I haunted by these things? Questions. Who is Jesus? Morality. Torn between doing right and doing wrong. Guilt over past actions and decisions. People-pleasing. A desire and need to please others. Any of you with that? The Word of God. A conviction to obey. Your own consciousness. And so Luke's account of this haunting in Herod's palace. A man, Herod Antipas, that was haunted by those very things that still today haunt many of us here this morning. Obviously have much to teach us about our walk with the Lord. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. It's just going to be three verses, but that will not be all you get this morning. Luke 9, verses 7 through 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. He was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. The word of God to the people of God, preaching the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We just want to tell you we love you. Mm -hmm. 
Father, thank you that one day we are going to be able to sing, sing, sing. Father, we're going to be able to stand in your presence. Yes. But I doubt any of us will stand. We're going to fall at your feet. We're going to kiss those nail-scarred feet that bore the sin for us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We want to say that first and foremost. We thank you for your gifts that you give us of brethren that share a common bond. Father, of the Holy Spirit that allows us to even hear from you and from your word that we can hold in our hands, Father. So we pray as, Father, the word goes forth that, Father, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Father, that we could take the truths today and each and every one of us, starting with me, Father, would apply these truths to our lives that we could walk more like Jesus. For it's in his wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So first up, I'm going to tell you about Herod's crime. As always, we have to set a little context and look there in verse 7. We read, now Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, his name is also Herod Antipas, A-N-T-I-P-A-S. He was the son of Herod the Great of Matthew 2 fame. He was quite the card. Ruthless, cunning, and paranoid. Remember, he ordered the slaughter of all the boys in Bethlehem under two years old. He killed so many of his own sons that it was said it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. And when he died in 4 BC, the Roman emperor divided his kingdom into four parts, thus Herod the Tetrarch, which means a ruler of a fourth part. The four divisions were given to his four living sons, Philip I, Philip II, Archelaus, and Antipas. So Antipas ruled during the time of Christ, 4 B.C. to 39 A.D., and not only that, he ruled Galilee, which is where Jesus did much of his ministry. It's been said what? That the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and so Herod Antipas was just like his daddy, quite the card. Jesus summed up his character in Luke 13, 32. He said, Herod, that fox. He was sly, crafty, worthless, and so Mark's gospel helps us fill in the blanks here on Herod's crime. So turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at the murdering. Mark chapter 6. We'll read us verse 14 to 20 and then we'll want to talk about it. King Herod... This king of which we're talking, Antipas, heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, now some manuscripts say, he said, a.k.a. King Herod. In Matthew's gospel, he says that this idea that uh, Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead was actually Herod's. So he said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, talking about Jesus. But others said, he, Jesus, is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, Jesus' ministry, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, and the Greek there means John had been saying and had been saying and had been saying. John had been saying, it's not lawful to have your brother's wife. It's not lawful to have your brother's wife. Day and night he was in his ear saying, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, 
had a grudge against him. The Greek there is, she had a grudge against him, she had a grudge against him, and she wanted him to be put to death, and she wanted him to be put to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So Herod had had John arrested and incarcerated in the desert prison of Machaerus near the northeast shore of the Dead Sea. And his whole intention was to protect John from his own wife. It says there, for the sake of Herodias. Now you're going to see her character here in just a minute. When you have your daughter do a strip tease in front of a bunch of drunken men, you see what kind of card she was herself. I've put here in my notes that the Herod family was a cross between Maury Povich and Deliverance. Let that sink in for a minute. Dr. Barclay said this, Seldom in history can there have been such a series of matrimonial entanglements as existed in the Herod family. And so I have a little thing up here, as you can see. And so Herod the Great had multiple wives. And so here are his sons, Herod Antipas, Archelaus, Philip I and Philip II. These were alive at this time. And so uh, Herodias was married to Philip. But then she divorced him and so she married Herod, Herod Antipas. And so it's John who rebuked that marriage. Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus. King Agrippa had Peter in prison. He executed James the son of Zebedee. Antonius left Paul in prison. And so you see this tanglement of stuff. And so here is who Herodias was. She was the daughter of Herod's half-brother, and so she was his niece. But at the same time, she was the wife of his half-brother, Philip, and thus his sister-in-law. At the same time, exactly, I saw several of you go, hang on, I told you it was Maury Povich and Deliverance combined. So she's his niece and his sister-in-law. This is wrong on so many levels, isn't it? First, they're too closely related to be married according to Leviticus 18, 16, and 20, 21. Second, each had been illegally divorced, which was against Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. And so John was not one to let sleeping dogs lie. And so he called Herod out on the carpet repeatedly. Look at verse 18, I already mentioned it. He had been saying, and had been saying, and had been saying. Day and night he was in Herod's ear telling him, Brother, you are wrong. You are sinning. That's a lesson for us, isn't it? Well, you just tell somebody one time and just, you know, then whatever. No, we have a, a responsibility to call people on the carpet with their sin. We do it the truth in love, but we still have a responsibility. John was appalled that a leader would do this, and he would do it just in open public. And so he let Herod know it. Well, that didn't sit well with Herodias. You know the old saying, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? And so she wanted John dead. But she really wasn't the only one because if you look in Matthew's Gospel, Herod wanted him dead as well. And so we see the beginning of a haunted man. He's haunted by the Word of God. Day and night, he knows that what he's doing is wrong. How does he know so? Because the Word of God is haunting him day and night. And we see a man that's haunted by the desire to please people that's haunted by his own consciousness, that's haunted by John. He's got a man that is righteous and holy, and he hears him gladly. He loves his preaching. 
But then at the other hand, he's perplexed and torn between his desire for lust. And you know what he does? Like a cockroach, he runs from the light. Because what did Jesus say? Why did men reject the light? Because they love dark. And so listen to this, brothers and sisters. He's like a lot of folks today, Herod. He enjoyed hearing the Word of God. What a preacher! Man, I love Dr. B when he gets all fired up. I love that. But then they got no intention to do anything with what comes out of the pastor's mouth. As soon as they get out that back door, they puke it up. And so he heard him gladly. Come on in, John. Tell me what you're going to preach to me about today. I'm going to preach to you about you, son. And he came in there and he didn't just step on his toes. He broke his legs. And he caught him on the carpet repeatedly. And he was tore between his lust for this woman and his desire to do God's Word. And so he hated John and he loved him in the same breath. But when John left out, you know what Herod did? He puked into the garbage can everything John had just told him. And so let's look here at the rest of Mark 6, 21-29. Let's read that. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles at civil authorities and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, that's the wealthy and the influential. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Now you know what kind of party this was, right? It was a drunken party. And she came in and danced. The Greek there is that of a highly suggestive dance. Dr. MacArthur says it would be comparable to our modern striptease. And that it was unusual and unprecedented that she would have performed in this way before Herod's guests because it was only for prostitutes and professional dancers and we know because the word that is used of her is used of Jairus' daughter that she was a teenager. What kind of mother has her teen daughter come in and do a strip tease before drunken men? What kind of daddy-in-law allows that? You see what kind of people these are? And so look, as she danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and he said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her. He invoked God's name for believability. Whatever you ask for me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Well, there's a lie and pride. And you know what happens before the fall? Pride. He didn't have any kingdom to give away. It was Rome's. And so she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. He wasn't sorry because he was about to commit first-degree murder. He was sorry because he had made an oath that he was embarrassed to break it in front of people because he wanted to please them. You see, oaths were sacred and unbreakable then, but Herod was widely known to do it, to break them. That's why Jesus called him a fox. And so then they bring in John's head. So let me pause here and give us a couple points of application. One, God expects and demands holiness of His people. Do you get that? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God demands holiness of His people. 
And I have said before that if I were to tell on Facebook that Pastor Cook is about to start a new series on Revelation, we'd probably have the church full. But if I said Pastor Cook is about to start a series on the holiness of God and the holiness of men, it'd be crickets in here. Because we don't really want to concern ourselves with holiness. We got pastors right here, a two stone throws away from us, that are worried about his congregation being happy and wealthy. And I heard Dr. Rogers say, God ain't worried about you being happy and you being healthy. He's worried about you being holy. Second, we as God's people have an obligation to confront sin. Now you don't go around beating people with the Bible and calling them sinners. It's truth in love, right? And then each week you have a choice as I and Jimmy preach from Scripture. Remember, we're just the mailman delivering the mail. I didn't write the letter. God wrote the letter. I'm just the mailman delivering the mail. But what you can do is three things. One, you can ignore it. And you can just puke it up. And you know what you're going to do? You're like Herod. You're going to burn your conscience until eventually it's going to be singed to the point of no return. Two is you can attack me. I can roll up my sleeves and show you some scars if I've got that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Now if you do that in truth and love and out of the right motive, I will receive it. Because I do need to be corrected on some things. I'm not perfect. But if you do it out of the wrong motive and in the wrong way, God will judge that. The third thing you can do when we come and we preach this is you can go before the Lord and you can have Him examine you and you can take it to the Lord. That's what I would suggest. For following God is costly. Cost John his life. People pleasing can be hazardous to your health. I need that lesson. That's what I'm haunted with a lot of times is trying to please people before I please God. I told you, this has to pass through me before it comes to you. And then sin crouches at the door of our lives and its desire is to rule over us. Alright, so that's the murder and the ministering. Turn back to Luke 9. So a period of time has passed since John's death. Jesus sends out the twelve. Jimmy preached this last time. He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And Jesus sitting at home eating bonbons during all this. He too is out ministering. Matthew 11, 1 says that he's teaching and preaching throughout the cities and so it's quite a buzz of activity in verse 7 this is all that was happening it's creating a stir and it's starting to add to the haunting in Herod's palace and so look at the murmuring Herod heard everybody and I mean everybody was talking about Jesus news of him reached the highest levels of the government and the richest places on earth and just didn't reach there it had a major impact it began to haunt a man that was already haunted the uh, verb there, heard, is this, and he heard one time. But then it says, and he was perplexed, and he was perplexed, and he was perplexed, and he was perplexed. You see, the message and miracles of Jesus demand attention, and they command a decision. Amen? Who is this? And what does it mean for my life? 
That's why more people won't believe in this because when they do believe in this, it has a lot to apply for their life and they then don't want to be accountable to this nor to God. I mean, it's true today. I don't care if you go to the ivory towers of Harvard or you go to the garbage dumps of Africa, people, the name of Jesus is on their lips. And they're still having to ask, who is this and what does it mean for my life? Haunt them. Alright, so that's Herod's crime. Let's go to Herod's confusion. Look at verse 7b. He was perplexed because it was said some John had been raised from the dead, some Elijah had appeared, others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So he's going through these possibilities. And like I said, there were three popular opinions. One, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. I've already told you this was Herod's own opinion. This is what he said. And really, if you think about it, it's the most bizarre conclusion that you could come to. We read that and we go, okay, Herod thought that John had been raised from the dead. And that's it. But it is the most bizarre conclusion any man such as Herod could have come to because of two things. One, John's own ministry. You know how many miracles John did? Zero. John 10.41 records that. There's no historical records that John ever did any miracles. So if John never did any miracles, Jesus is doing miracles, how do you then surmise that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead because he's doing miracles? Head scratcher. And then second is Herod's own belief. Herod was a Sadducee. He was a member of the party Sadducees. And they were sad, you see. Because they denied the supernatural. They did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. What would make a man conclude and believe something he professed not to believe in the first place? Guilt. He's being haunted day in and day out. And it was eating him alive. And so second, some said it was Elijah that had appeared. And they didn't realize that basically... Elijah was going to come before the Messiah and that that Messiah was Jesus and John the Baptist himself was the Elijah-like forerunner. Third, one of the prophets of old had risen. That was the crowd at Nan's reaction in Luke 7. It was their reaction because that was what the uh, uh, rabbis taught that Moses, Jeremiah, or Isaiah were going to come and be raised. And so all of Galilee, the whole world is asking this, who is this? Who is this? And Luke the theologian points out that everybody from John the Baptist to John Q. Public to Jesus' own disciples are wrestling with this question. And so here's Herod wrestling with this question. And he's thinking of things like this. Is God judging me for my sin? Is this John all over? Is this going to be another man yapping in my ear day in and day out, night in and night out, calling me on the carpet? How am I ever going to please people and Rome? Is it going to be a revolt? Will I be deposed? Is Jesus going to take over for me as king? What if word of John's beheading gets to Rome? What if I have to behead Jesus too? Am I going to be hanged? How many more times am I going to have to violate the word of God or sin against my own conscience? I mean, talk about a man haunted. Another thing that Luke the theologian points us to is this. When you're uncertain about Jesus, it's only natural when you view Him from a distance. What you have to do is not by the report of others, is that you have to do it for yourself. 
Because look at what he says. And he sought to see him. You got to get up close and personal. You know the song by Nicole C. Mullins, My Redeemer Lives? How do I know he lives? How does Buffy Cook know that he lives? I tell you how I know that Jesus Christ lives because I spoke with him this morning. And I don't care what Richard Dawkins says. I don't care how great his brain is and how many uh, logical arguments he has for or against the existence of God and how crazy the Bible is. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey says because note that Oprah Winfrey, who they now want to be POTUS of the United States in 2020, says that there are other ways to heaven other than Jesus. I don't care what she says. I don't care what Adrian Rogers says. I don't care what Marty Bauer says. All I care is what I know, and that is that Jesus lives today because I spoke with Him this morning. You've got to get up close and personal, and you've got to make the decision for yourself. And so look at Herod's conclusion. Verse 9. John I beheaded, but who is this? And he sought to see him. So note first the home. John beheaded. Beheaded. I mean, this is just again, like I said, the strangest thing you could think of. But you know why? Because human beings are strange people. Amen. Mm-hmm. Dr. Barclay said, "There's nothing in this world so strange a mixture as a human being." James Boswell in his London diary said that he sat in church enjoying the worship of God, yet at the same time planning how to pick up prostitutes in the streets of London the same night. Sir Norman Burkett, who was a great lawyer and judge, he spoke of criminals he defended and tried, and he said, they may seek to escape, but they cannot. All their lives long, the desire for good is at their heels, the implacable hunter. Herod feared John, loved him, hated his message, and yet was unable to free himself from fascination with it. He's haunted by his own morality, his desire to please others, his conscience, the Word of God, these rash promises, Jesus' identity, but most of all, he was haunted by what he had done. Whenever we commit sins, then the whole world becomes our enemy, and inwardly, all we can do is think about that bad that we've done. You know how many Christians in my office over the years I have seen battle with this? God has taken our sin... And he is separated as far as the east is from the west. He is sunken in the bottom of the ocean. But you know what they are doing? They're haunted by their own guilt and their own conscience. And they cannot let something go. They, they did one time in 1974. And they think God is going to hold that over them forever. And they say, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. There is no way God can forgive me. Have y'all not heard people say that? They're haunted by it. The sin in life is the haunted life, as someone said. What is it? Dr. Rogers said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Sometimes your own consciousness haunting you. So then look at the question. He says, but who is this? I mean, the reason said this wasn't John the Baptist, Right? Well, there's just no way. He doesn't know who it is, so he needs to see Jesus. He needs to get up close and personal. And so look at what it says. He sought to see Him. Over and over and over, he sought to see Him. But why did he really want to see Him? 
Because Luke 13.31 tells us that he wanted to kill Jesus. In Luke 23, 8-11, he wanted to see a sign. And what did Jesus say? An adulterous and evil generation seeks a sign. He really wasn't wanting to seek Jesus out of the right motives. He's just wanting to soothe his consciousness, which leads us to the last point, Herod's consciousness. You ever heard the expression common grace? Do you know what that is? Common grace is the grace of God that He gives to all people whether they're saved or lost. So think of this, the physical realm. God gives life to lost people and to saved people, doesn't He? He gives us all the earth to enjoy, doesn't He? The intellectual realm. Whether you are a lost person or a believer, all science and technology comes ultimately from God, doesn't it? Yes, you might have an iPhone in your pocket and it might have been a Muslim that designed that, but you know who ultimately that Muslim was endowed with that ability? By God. Same thing with doctors. Don't ever let a doctor tell you that he's the one doing the healing. It ain't him doing the healing. He's just a vehicle. The creative realm, art, music, sports, societal realm, family, government, and then the moral realm. Listen to Romans 2. We'll finish up in Romans. Romans 2, 14 to 15, it says, For when the Gentiles, that's Herod, that's us, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so, one of the common graces, one of the gifts that God has given to every man, woman, and child is a conscience. But it can easily become your greatest nightmare. Think of how frequently Herod had violated it. He married his niece and sister-in-law. He repeatedly rejected revelation. He brought John in, heard his preaching, and puked it up repeatedly. He wanted to kill John, but then locked him up in prison. He's got a drunken feast with exotic dancing by his wife, a.k.a. nieces, a.k.a. sister-in-law's teen daughter. And he vowed to her half of his kingdom that he didn't even own. And he's embarrassed to break an oath, but not to commit first-degree murder. So get inside Herod's conscience for a second. He heard one time what Jesus was doing. And then he was perplexed. John of beheaded, John of beheaded, John of beheaded. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? And he sought Jesus and he sought Jesus and he sought Jesus. And I'll tell you the rest of the story. Luke 23, 8-12. Herod finally got his wish. He finally got to see Jesus. And it has volumes to speak to us, brothers and sisters. Listen to what it says in verse 8 and following. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length but he made no answer. What have I said is one of the greatest words in the English language? But. 
He questioned Jesus and he questioned Jesus and he questioned Jesus. And you know what God did? He sat before him silent and didn't speak a word. Ten, the chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been in enmity with each other. Herod wants to hear from Jesus, and Jesus is silent. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I don't know how long that silence went on, but I can tell you one thing, it was deafening. Here's the lesson. When Herod wanted to hear from God the most, God had nothing to say to him. Who is this man? Silence. You see, he had sinned against his consciousness and sinned against his consciousness and sinned against his consciousness and silenced it to the point that you know what? God was silent to him. Brothers and sisters, this is what we talked about in Sunday school. This was Romans 1 before it was written. Because God gave him up. You don't want any part of me, Herod. You don't want any part of listening to the man that has been sent to you to warn you. You don't want any part of the Word of God that is warning you day and night. You don't want any part of the conscience that I gave you as a gift inside of you to have you walk after me. Then that's fine. You don't get to hear from me. No more. And you remember what it says in Romans 1? When God gave them up, then He gave them up to do what they ought not to do. And what did He do? He treated Jesus with contempt. He never should have done that. And then it says, not only did did He give them up to do things they ought not to do, but then to give approval to others who did the same. And look at what it said. Herod and Pilate became friends that day. Herod wanted to be saved and God said, time's up. You have no more opportunity. Here's the application. Brothers and sisters, God owes you nothing. Do you hear me? God owes you nothing. And He don't owe Buffy Cook nothing either. And when He speaks to you, it is grace upon grace upon grace. When He speaks to you, it proves that He loves you and He cares for you and He wants to transform you. But there will come a time when God is no longer going to give you any additional revelation or opportunity until you're obedient to that that He's already given you. Remember what I said about the black pastor? Went and preached at the church. They want another sermon every time. They said, you start obeying the first one, I'll move on to the second one. It's so possible, Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 2, to continue to sin against our conscience that it becomes seared. I don't know how you like your steak, but I don't like mine burnt. I don't even like it well done. But it's possible that you can continue to sin against your consciousness it's like a piece of singed, burnt up meat and it will not respond to anything. You know what I think is going to ring in Herod's ears for the rest of his time and eternity? John I beheaded. Who is this? John I beheaded. Who is this?
Paul says that his charge for Timothy was this. 1 Timothy 1.5 A good conscience. Brothers and sisters, is it your desire today to have a good conscience before God the Father and before Jesus Christ His Son? You know how we do that? When God gives us His Word, we listen to it. And we obey it. If you don't hear anything else, hear these, these two things. You hear God's Word and you obey it. Not because God is some mean old grandfather up in the sky, but because He died for you, and out of love, you want to obey Him. You know why I want my kids to obey me? Because I've got a belt? No, because I'm their daddy and they love me. Yeah. And second, we obey the Word of God. Second is we do our laundry. What do you mean, Pastor? You go daily before the Lord, 1 John 1, 9, and you confess your sins, and He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You do your laundry daily. You come to Him, and you ask Him to cleanse you, and if you will do those things, there's no room for home, brothers and sisters. And so I want to close this message very simply. Is there something that's haunting you this morning? Maybe it's a question. Jesus' identity or otherwise. Maybe your own morality is haunting you. Or the lack thereof. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's somebody that you don't like. And it could even be a brother or sister in Christ. Are you, like me, trying to please people too much? Maybe it's some life decision. God's calling you to a step or a leap of faith. And it's haunting you. Maybe the Word of God. Your past for any number of reasons. Your conscience. I bet there ain't one single person in this room today that ain't haunted by one of these things we've talked about. Amen? And you can ignore that siren in your heart and your head and you can just puke up what I tell you and go on about your business. Or you can shoot the messenger. Or you can go take it to the Lord. Brother Dave, you know I always got to bring some music into it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Right? But you notice, it's not where that stanza ends. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, are you forfeiting some peace this morning? Are you bearing some needless pain? Stop it. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You, Father. I, I, I needed to be back with my family. After the snow, Father, I'm thankful that we are back here together as brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to encourage one another and just open God's Word and feast on it. And Father, to come and just sing these glorious songs that we've sung today and just have our hearts and our minds re-energized for the week, Father. And Father, I pray for anyone of us that's here today that's haunted by any of these things. Help us to come to Jesus. What a friend we have in Him. If we'll just unload our griefs and burdens on Him, Father, You'll take them because Your yoke is light. And so I pray for any of us that need to do that today that You would Help us to do that.
Father, I thank you that our themes, Father, that you have a table, a banquet table that's so big that you just tell us to keep going out and keep dragging people in, dragging people in because there's plenty of room at the table. Father, you're sending us not home here in a few minutes. You're sending us out into the highways and the hedges and help us to remember that. We're going to come into contact with folks this week that are haunted by these very things we've talked about. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us here today would reach out in love to someone that needs to hear about the glorious truth of Jesus and how he frees us from these things. Fathers, we come to this time of invitation. If there's anyone here today that needs to make a decision for you, I pray that, Father, you would just pour your Holy Spirit out upon them, give them eyes and ears to hear, they were to respond as you call them. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. You know, the only thing that can clean a dirty conscience? The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. It doesn't make sense that blood will cleanse something, does it? That's how God works. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're lost, it's easy as this. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe Jesus is God's Son, that He lived the life you never could live. He died the death that you deserve to die. But then He didn't just stay dead, He raised from the dead on the third day and he gives the promise of eternal life to everybody that believes that that happened. So your response is to confess your sins, to believe upon that, to repent of your sins and to receive Christ as Lord. Have you ever done that? And then if we're, you're saved, we need daily cleansing. I don't know how y'all do laundry at your house, but you don't just take all the clothes and wrap them up in a big wad and throw it in the laundry machine and say, I hope it comes out clean. But that's how many of us do our laundry with the Lord. We just wrap everything up. We say, Lord, now just forgive me of everything. There's some stuff we might need to come and individually say, God, you please cleanse me of this. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, and we have to come with clean hands, clean hearts, and clean consciousness. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, come receive Him today. If you haven't been cleansed lately, then come do that as we stand and sing.